0: Well, um, that John Donne meditation that played at the beginning of our service, I I spent way too long um, pretending I was a filmmaker and putting that together. Um, And then living in that poetry for so long, it sent me down a rabbit hole of poetry this week. If you didn't know, Donne was an English uh, poet. He was a priest. And he lived primarily in the—he was working and writing primarily in the 17th century, so roughly the end of when Shakespeare was around and this particular meditation where we hear no man is a what and for whom the bell he did not steal that from Metallica just so you know (laughs) is one of the most famous things that he wrote I think primarily because it lives on in the titles of novels and songs and in different places he wrote it when he was contemplating an illness that he had, and it led him to think about his legacy, what he would leave behind, but it also led him to think about the ways that as Christians, as the body of Christ, we're all interconnected. So he says, when the church bell tolls to tell us, right, that somebody has passed, and we want to ask, well, who has passed away? He's saying that bell is tolling for all of us together because we're all connected through Christ he also says that when we're gone we're not gone forever that we aren't torn from the book of life completely right but that our lives are translated into a life eternal and yet as Christians even though we believe this even though our faith I think is founded on the truth that this life is not the end right how many of us worry nonetheless about what we're going to leave behind when we're gone. What will we leave for our children or our grandchildren, our nieces or our grandnephews? What legacy will we leave in our community? Will the Chiefs one day play on Pastor Mike Memorial Field at Arrowhead Stadium, brought to you by GEHA in cooperation with the BSA and the GSUSA and the FCA? right? Or will we go gentle, anonymous, into that good night? If you've ever asked these questions, you are in good company. Centuries of poets, of philosophers, of theologians have asked those same questions. I mean, it's in scripture. The author of Ecclesiastes, he reflects in chapter 8, I think, questions we've all asked before. You're right, sometimes godly people get what sinful people should receive. Sometimes sinful people get what godly people should receive. Here's what I'm telling you, that doesn't have any meaning. It's meaningless. So I advise everyone to enjoy life. A person on this earth can't do anything better than what? Eat, drink, and be merry. Literally, life is meaningless, so you might as well enjoy it while you got... That's biblical. The major prophets, Isaiah and David Matthews, both echoed that sentiment. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Edmund Spencer, another poet a little older than John Donne, he put it this way in a love sonnet. He wrote, One day I wrote her name upon the strand. But came the waves and washed it away. But I wrote it a second hand, the, but the same tide made my pains his prey. Vain man, said she, that doth in vain assay a mortal thing so to immortalize. For I myself shall like to this decay, and eke my name be wiped out likewise. Our life, he says, is like writing in the sand. The tides will eventually come and erase all memory of us all. And we know this, right? Y'all know this. Like sands through the hourglass, so are what? The days of our lives. Y'all, you you are literate. That's what you are. (laughs) And finally, one of my favorites, it's the title of a really good episode of Breaking Bad, too, is Ozymandias by Percy B. Shelley. These words appear. My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Look on my works and despair. What remains of our legacy when we're gone what about all the things we've made, all the things we've built, all the things we've bought? Stretches of ruin and empty sand. It's kind of a dark place to hang out all week, to be honest. <laughs> These poets, philosophers, theologians, they, they, they weren't preaching good news <laughs> in their works. But Jesus does. And so in our scripture for today... Jesus brings us good news about our legacy. He is the good news. And so this is Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd spoke to Jesus. Teacher, he said, tell my brother to divide the family property with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge or an umpire? Today it should say referee. Referee referee between you. (laughs) Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against wanting to have more and more things. Life is not made up of how much a person has. Then Jesus told them a story. He said, a certain rich man's land produced a very large crop. And so he thought to himself, what should I do? I don't have any place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store my extra grain in them. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain stored away for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and have a good time. But God said to him, you foolish man, tonight I will take your life away from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? That is how it will be for whoever stores things away for themselves, but is not rich in the sight of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your son who came to teach us what it means to follow you, what it means to be the people that you created us to be. And so I pray today, Lord, that you will speak to each of us, that you will abide in our hearts even as we abide in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So here's the scene. Jesus has been teaching a large crowd of people. like It's so big, we read, that people are stepping on each other just trying to hear Jesus, to be near to Jesus. And ironically, right before this, this young rich man raises his hand, Jesus has been talking about death. He's been talking about how there are those who might kill our bodies, but they can't do any more to us than that. He tells the people that if they follow his teaching, they might be brought up before the courts or the synagogues or the religious leaders, but the Holy Spirit will be with you, he says, and the ultimate judge will free you. He tells the people that the worth of things in this world might be counted in pennies, two pennies for five sparrows, he said, but that we, you and me, our lives and our souls are priceless to God. Who numbers the hairs on our head, he says. You are priceless to God. You hear that? Your legacy is not numbered in pennies. Your life and all that it means cannot be reduced to a dollar sign. I hope you hear that today. But then a guy in the crowd, just as Jesus is getting going with the good news, raises his hand. He's like, Yeah, Jesus, that's all good stuff you're preaching there. That's really good news, man. But like, can you tell my brother to give me my part of our inheritance? To which Jesus replies in a very Jesus manner, dude, your brother is the worst. Like, he should totally give you your inheritance. Like, right now, thank you so much for interrupting the Son of God, telling people that all people are priceless. The Son of God telling them that God offers all people salvation. Thank you so much for interrupting me over this squabble you've got going with your brother because it's way more important than the good news, right? That's what Jesus, is that in your translation, (laughs) Ken? No. (laughs) That's not what he says. He says. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge or referee between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against wanting to have more and more things. Life is not made up of how much a person what has. Because Jesus knows that the things we have, the stuff we accumulate, are like scribbles in the sand on the beach of life. Eventually, the tide's going to come and wash it all away. The stuff of life are like monuments that might be impressive at the time, but will eventually crumble away into ruin. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Life is meaningless, says the author of Ecclesiastes and the singer of Tripping billies. But Jesus amends this statement. He says, a life measured by the stuff of this world, that's meaningless. Life is not made up of how much a person has accumulated, whether it's money or titles or tiny dogs or storage units full of, of, of everything. But we, we like to measure our life by our 401ks or by the size of our salary on a paycheck or or, or we get our life worth confused with our net worth. Who's ever of us known someone or been in this situation, right? Tell my brother to divide the family property with me. How many arguments, how many families get broken up when it comes to an inheritance? And when Jesus hears that demand, he hears three relationships that have just been reduced to property, to things, to stuff. Three lives measured by how much a person has. First, there's the father of these two sons. He's died, and what legacy has he left his sons? What do we know about this father? What is the sum total of his worth to his two sons? It's the sum total of the worth of his property, right? Second, there's the relationship between these two brothers. They've lost their father, and in the midst of their grief, what is the sum total of their worth to one another? It's the sum total of how much each of those brothers is owed. And we know at this time, the older brother would have inherited two-thirds of the land, and the younger brother one-third, and this is clearly the younger brother, right, demanding his share. And the third relationship It's between these two brothers and who? Jesus. I mean, Jesus is right in front of them. Jesus is teaching them about the promise of eternal life, teaching them that they are worth so much than the net worth of their property. Jesus, can you imagine? Like Jesus is literally sharing the good news with him. Like you can't get much more literal than the kingdom of God coming near than Jesus standing right in front of you. And do they hear Jesus? Jesus? no they're too busy writing about their love of sums and totals in the sand who is worth how much and who is owed what i mean the kingdom of god is right there in front of them and they're too worried about the tiny kingdom of their own making to see the hope the joy the peace the new life that christ is offering them how like those brothers are we How often, when we judge the worth of others or even our own worth, how often are we, how often, when we think of the legacy that we're leaving behind, how often do we think of how much stuff we have or how much stuff they have? Which is why Jesus told them this parable about a man who brought in such a large crop that he didn't even have enough room to store it all in his barn. So, what did he do? Did he share it with his neighbors? No, did he give it to someone who didn't bring in enough? No, did he, did he, did he share it to the, with those who have nothing? What did he do? He built a bigger barn, naturally, as one does. God blessed him with a bumper crop, and he chose to bless who? His, but not even like not even himself now, though, right? Like he jo- chose to bless himself later. And I, you get the impression that he's going to keep storing it up, right? He's going to keep building bigger ba- barns every time a big crop comes in. He's going to keep accumulating stuff so that one day he might eat, drink, and... Only, did anyone else get the impression that one day is never going to come for this guy? Like, that's the insidious thing about accumulating stuff. There's always more to accumulate. That's the insidious, insidious thing about building and basing your life's worth on your net worth. It's never enough, right? Ken shared, what, two weeks ago that it was a John Rockefeller, right? John D. Rockefeller, when we started this series, he said, like, the richest man in modern history, someone asks him, how much will be enough, John? And he says, just a little bit more. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow will die. Only for the man in the parable is not tomorrow. Because God comes and says, you foolish man, tonight I will take your life away from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He will die when? Tonight. And will he get to eat all the grain he's stored? No. Will he get to drink in the barns that he's built? No. Will he be merry? (laughs) He will die tonight. And what will be his legacy? Will his children be fighting over those barns as they decay into so much ruin? Will his grandchildren be fighting over those barns? Will his community remember what he did for his neighbors? Or the useless things that he tried to do for himself? What will your legacy be? Will your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your grandnephews, will they be fighting over your storage units? If you need another one, I think some are going in across the street. Will your community members remember what you did for your neighbors? Or will they remember the useless things you tried to do for yourself as you line up three giant bins to throw out all the stuff you've accumulated in front of your house? That's how it will be for whoever stores things away for themselves but is not rich in the sight of God. And that just got really dark. (laughs) Like I told you, I fell down that poetry rabbit hole today of sorrow and futility and meaninglessness. Like so many poets, it's enough to make you forget the good news. When I asked, when did the rich man die, you, you all might as well have just said to me, ask not for whom the bell tolls, for it tolls for thee. <laughs> and just like that, I turned us into a room of ozymandiasis But really, there is good news because all of you, all of you in this room, just by being here today, by sharing in this community of faith, you're already doing the work of building a lasting legacy. Earlier this week, I, I was sitting in a Zoom class on a, on, a, on a class. It was on church finances. And what's more, it was on creating church budgets. Our class meets over lunch, so we're all eating and drinking. But judging from the topic, you can guess no one was merry. But we were asked a question That I've been asked before, only never in the context of of budgeting, so it hit me a little different. And, And that question is, if your church were gone tomorrow, what would be missing in your community? If your church were gone tomorrow, what would be missing in your community? Which is another way of asking, what's your legacy? What's your legacy And I can honestly say for the first time since I've heard that question, I didn't know where to start. Actually, to be honest, like I didn't know where to end. Like is our legacy the nearly 200 kids that you all have been giving food to for the weekends over the past two months? Is our legacy the high school life directions class that is finding a place and a purpose every week, packing those snacks with us, or the passion that they're gaining for helping others? Is our legacy the 120 friends meeting here every month for Friendship Club? Is our legacy the 100-plus scouts that have a place because this is the only place in Grain Valley that will charter a scouting organization? Is our legacy the loads of, of laundry love that are shared at the laundromat twice a month, or the meals that are shared on Wednesday nights, or the third Thursday, or the fourth Friday, or the fifth, we're Methodists, I could just go on with how often we eat, is our legacy in the beautiful music that you all make, or the crafts that you make, or the difference that you make in Nicaragua, Ukraine, or through the Samaritan's Purse, or care packages from home, or UMCOR, or to GVAC, is our legacy in the prayers that you all lift each and every week for one another in your neighbors and the schools around us or the prayers that that you share as, as, as liturgists and that the ways that you call us into worship the scripture that you speak is our legacy in the sunday school classes that you teach the kids you raise up the small groups doing life together is our legacy in the young people who, who have a place and a purpose in this congregation, man, I, I tell you, I get to do the best stuff, and it's not anything that I do. I just get to talk about you all. I got to knock the socks off our, our Missouri Conference Gen, um, Next Gen Ministries director when I told her that we have three, right? Three youth serving on our nomination and leadership development committee. That's one third of the people raising up leaders in this congregation are under the age of 18 still, right? Yeah, okay. Under the age of 18. Did you hear that? Like we flipped the script, our youth are raising up adults as leaders in our congregation. Or is our legacy the fact that we're the only church in Grain Valley where a young per- woman, a young woman can see the possibility that she might one day lead a congregation, preach a sermon, or dare to be called pastor. I mean, just this last week, I met with an eighth grader in our congregation who is going to preach her first sermon next Sunday in this very room. Because she asked, I need to preach. Can I preach at our church? She has a story to tell. And then this week, I get to hear from another young lady who's itching to share her testimony with the people who have been sharing Jesus with her. Or is our legacy the cafe that you all are building where there will truly be a place for all people? Is our legacy right now being built over at Valley Moments where people are supporting good people by eating and drinking and depending on how the chiefs are doing right now, don't tell me, being (laughs) merry. Or does our legacy lie in the good people of this congregation who've gone before us like Rosetta Antrim, William Jean, Wilma Jean Rowe, Rosalie Colster, Bill Fain, Gary Snyder, Donna Sue Manser, Orville Gottkelly Anderson, Harvey Colster, and Ralph Pugh, whose lives we remember today. This is the good news that our legacy is in all these things and all these people, and so many that I didn't mention. Because as John Dunn said, the church is Catholic, universal. And so are all her actions. All that she does belongs to all. All that faith does belongs to all of us. It's our legacy. Not the things we accumulate, not the stuff of our lives, not the barns that we build, but the ways we love our neighbor as we love ourselves and the ways that together we love God. And so on this day when we remember the saint's Who've gone before when we remember their legacy i want to thank you for the legacy that you are creating i want to invite you to continue to give of yourselves of your time of your treasure so that we might continue to build upon that legacy later this week you're going to receive information about our stewardship campaign we're calling it clean slate because of what jesus was talking about to those crowds when he was so rudely interrupted <laughs> What Christ offers all of us this chance to look at our legacies with fresh eyes. We've been given a clean slate, so you're going to receive a pledge card with the opportunity to plan your investment in faith's legacy. What that will look like in the the next year, and so when you receive that, I want I want you to ask yourself, what will my legacy be? Because as someone once said, life is not made up by how much a person has, but rather the ways in which they are rich toward God. Amen.